sort of funny, also a little bit stupid, that whenever we do this, uh, John and I just doing the show by ourselves today, by choice, not because we got stiffed by anybody. I uh, just thought there were some things we wanted to get off our respective chests. Every time we do this, I think of the, remember the song, Just the Two of Us? We can uh, make you know it what? if we try. You, you know what? You're right. It does sound silly. <laughs> I, and I can't, silly. I can't get it out of my head. So I'll be singing while you're talking. So I might not be listening. Oh. Well, you, no, no. What do you mean you might not be listening? You rarely listen to me. So Pardon? Exactly. Uh, so it's Bob McCown. It's uh, John Shannon with you today on the uh, podcast slash. The world's smallest program. round table today. Yeah, well, you have to have three at least. You understand uh-huh. that? The round table was always a misnomer, by the way. I just want people to know. We never had actually square. had a round yeah. table. Well, no, it was kind of, it was a very weird kind of pentagon shape Yeah. in the old studio. And then the new studio, they built it really for television. So it was like a an elongated U. You see, the, the, the fascination in this day and age with technology, anything's built for television. You don't, you don't need, you don't need to uh, set four people up on the line to think that that's how people expect to watch. You know, you, you, you can actually be creative and set up desks and put people in the round and have fun with things like that in television. now. Well, you know, yeah, we, but the so, whole concept, so- the whole concept of, of uh, passing, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, that line of demarcation, 180 degrees. Uh, that's gone away. It's disappeared. Well, it should have, anymore. but, but look around, yeah. look around. At oh, the I know, no, I know, Bob, I know, there. I know, I know. I watch, I watch them all. And I say, you know, these are talented people behind the scenes running all these places. Uh, and everybody's still in a straight line. Well, all you need is one extra camera, really. You know? And everybody, uh, they're a dime a dozen. Well, yeah. And you don't even need operators anymore. It's all remote control. Yeah, I like, see. They did I, I, even at the even at the Masters. See how many remote, how many like straight cameras set up with no camera people are on them now. I, the I think it's probably that, more important. But I'm not surprised. Yeah. 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 Well, the other thing too is they now have, um, you know, they don't do a blimp over the Masters, oh, but they're they're doing drones. Yeah. And, well, uh, and there were some the, really the, interesting shots. Well, and and you've got it. This is uh, not to get too technical about television. Uh, but there's a real changing of the guard at CBS. Um, you know, the Frank Cherkinian, Lance Barrow era uh, is over. And uh, they were very traditional in their coverage of the golf tournament. And uh, during the pandemic versions of the Masters, uh, the, the new people convinced the, uh, the Masters organization to use a rail cam and try the drones. Um, and it just made the golf course look spectacular. Oh, my gosh, yeah. So, so, so now you're seeing a lot more liberties taken with, with those types of shots. You would have not seen those shots five years ago or 10 years ago, just would not have been allowed. Um, and it's making the golf course look that much more attractive. And, and so therefore it's better television. The pictures are, by the way, the pictures out of Augusta on day one were spectacular. Absolutely. I, I, they were, you know, even on your big Herkin 90 million square foot TV, Bob, they were spectacular. It was amazing. Yeah. Now, have you, I've asked you this, I'm sure before, but I can't remember the answer. Have you been to Augusta? No, I haven't. Yeah, I turned really, it down, Bob. I turned it down. It really should be on your bucket list, John, because I yeah, know how I know. much you love the game. Yeah. Um, and I can't describe to you how magnificent it is it is um it's unlike any other place i've ever been it is it's just so utterly beautiful and and i guess what makes it that way feel that way is when you you're surrounded the golf course is basically a sealed rectangle a compound it's, it's all trees all the way around so you can't see in right from anywhere the drive down magnolia lane to the clubhouse is um i can't remember the name, name of the street uh it'll come to me it's not bobby it's, jones boulevard no it, it's 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 a long drive in and you like even if you're at the front if you're driving across the front where the entr- yeah. main entrance of the golf club is you can't see the clubhouse 
Wow. So um, it really is one of those sealed environments. And you feel like you're on flat gra- ground all the way around because it's, it's, it's residential on three sides. Mm-hmm. Although Augusta Golf and Country Club are the other one. I think borders one of the one on one side, but across the street from the clubhouse is um, strip plazas. Yeah. Seedy, you know, <laughs> suburban strip plazas. Hey, hey, come on. Not all suburban strip plazas are seedy. No, I, I, I grant you that, but these are. That's why I said seedy. All right. Okay. The inference wasn't to all strip plazas, but the, the ones in Augusta, they were. We're going we're gonna to get letters from strip plaza owners. I don't care. Okay. Um, well, if they can demonstrate that they're not seedy, then they'll get an appropriate apology. Oh, but I, I just the the, the 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 pictures yesterday, new technology, man, oh man, it was it was hard to tear myself away from watching the golf yesterday. It really I, was. I was in the same boat. I had other things to do, and I kept postponing because yeah. I couldn't take my eyes off it. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, so then you walk inside the grounds. And that is what is so stunning because you're really unimpressed with the exterior. I see. And then you walk in there and you go, oh, my God. Like every blade so where of Where grass. do people park? Are everybody bust in? I don't know. That's sure. a good question. Uh, because when I went, I stayed in a private house. We rented a yeah. private house that was walking distance to the entry to the golf course. So um, now not the main entrance but one yeah. of the, one of the side entrances. And um, so I don't really know where the parking is. Yeah. That, because uh, um, I mean, there were, there were what, 40,000 people on, on site yesterday. Yeah, I don't know. The number used to be 20. Okay. I, it, I mean, but there it were a lot of like, people. It was a massive amount of number of people. Well, at least around one group. Well, the, yeah. But the other thing is they've built more stands in the last yes, few they years. Have. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't remember those stands behind uh, 12T. Do you? No, that's right. Yeah, I don't. There was a few, there was a few places, particularly in the back nine, where I saw new structures. But I, yeah. it, the, 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 other, the other fascination for me is that I, I watched, I mean, the, they, they, the last group finished around 8 o'clock Eastern time last night. And I, I watched from, I watched the last hour, um, and thought this is the time to go and watch the golf tournament because most people have left by then. And the last three groups of the day uh, in the dusk, uh, big names, uh, including Kepka, including Rory, um, and not many people on the course watching. It was fantastic to watch that. Well, mind you, you know, the people, the vast majority of those people were there, have been there for 12 hours. Oh, I know. Well, so time, open- time your day. Time your day, you know. The gate. This is the other intriguing thing about Augusta is the gates open. I think an hour before. I could be wrong, but an hour before the first tee time. Okay. And there literally are twenty thousand people waiting to get in at seven a.m. Yeah. yeah. Be, and then they immediately rush to their, to their spot. favorite spots. Yeah. Because walking around Augusta, which you know, if you go to the Canadian Open or any other professional golf tournament, you have a choice. You can park yourself one place and enjoy from there, or you can walk around and follow different people. You can't really do that at Augusta. No, you're allowed to, but there are so many people and many of the viewing areas are well away from the, the actual play like 11. Right. You know, you can't get anywhere near anybody on 11. You can see them hit their tee shots. Nobody is near them when they hit their second shots and there's nobody right. around the green yeah, because of the uh, landscape. Anyway. Right. Hey, so um, uh, b- before we go to our first break, because remember we got we have breaks in this show, Bob. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, what'd you think of Tiger? Remarkable. Yeah. Um, he, he messed up that chip shot on the par five and there well, were two chip shots on the par five. Um, and got a boat, had a bogey there, but otherwise I thought he was, um, really solid, really solid. I don't know if he can win. Um, but I don't think he can win. I I'm not discounting the possibility after yesterday. I was very impressed by uh, how he played. Well, I mean, uh, obviously, um, 
uh, his post game interview, post uh, round interview, when he said, uh, uh, "How are you going to spend the night with lots of ice?" Uh, I think explained uh, a great deal of what he's going through. Uh, the other amazing thing, and, and we've always talked about Woods in this nature, was his ability to stay focused. And I can only imagine, I mean, he's still a human. Uh, I can only imagine the amount of focus it took to stay in the game between people cheering for him, which is a distraction, and for the the struggle that he was going through physically, because he is going through a, a struggle physically, to maintain your focus on the job at hand would be remarkable. Because, Bob, I mean, we're weekend golfers, but if you have a sore finger or if you have a bad foot or if you have something and you have a, a twitch, it gets magnified as you go around a golf course. I don't disagree with you, John. The only thing I would say to you is we have seen this throughout Tiger's career with his injuries. I mean, he played on a broken leg. Yeah. He won the United States Open in the in the playoff with Mediate, on, essentially on a broken leg. Yeah. He played with a bad back. And he has the ability to absorb, control the pain that he goes through. And um, it uh, at this point, after 25 years, this is the 25th anniversary of his first appearance at the Masters, 1997. Oh, first win. Yeah, a win. Yeah. That's what I meant. And um, nothing surprises me anymore with him. No. It's why I can't sit here and say I, I, he can't win. I know he can win. I don't think he will uh, because of the leg. That makes no yeah. sense to me. But if he went out and shot 65 or 66 today and got himself at or near the top of the leaderboard, I wouldn't be shocked. Oh, he can't. I, he can't shoot that low. He can't. John, I think he can. I, I don't no, know no, that he will. I, mean, I, I suspect he won't, but I think he can. He has that in him. We and he has it in, this in him more than any other place he play, he could play. Yeah, yeah. We listened to, you know, with Richard and Ian earlier in the week and, and their utter respect for what this guy has done and what he has always been able to do or what he is perceived to be able to do. I, I'm sorry. And I, you know, uh, I just don't see it. Bob. Well, I, just I don't. don't. I, I just acknowledge, don't John. I don't see I it don't either. See it. I don't think. It's By the so. way, his upper body is his upper body. Holy smokes! Golfers in their upper body now. Between he and Rory, uh, that, the the game has well, changed that way, huh? Yeah, and Rory Rory is a disciple of Tiger's physical right. fitness. Yeah, the game has changed. There are no, not too many, you know, no Stadlers, fat, fat out of shape guys out there anymore. All right, Most we're going to take a break. That was the opening. That was a long opening. That was the longest opening ever. That's what you get when you get two well-worn guys doing something they don't do every day. Uh, we'll come back. We'll chat some more. Um, Matthews, Leafs, Raptors, Blue Jays open tonight. Yep. Lots to talk about when we come back after these messages. It's Bob McCown. It's John Shannon on the podcast slash radio show. We, uh, we neglected to mention before we move off golf, a uh, nice round by Corey Connors yesterday, yeah. who plays very well at the Masters. And um, two under yesterday and um, not out of it as we sit here and talk. We don't get to get too detailed because this is a podcast after all. And um, by the time people hear this, a lot of stuff will have happened that we aren't privy to yet. Because we do not have a crystal ball, and, and and I will tell you that one of the nice things about the way the the tournament is now covered is that we're not at the behest of a uh, of a single guy who says, "Well, we don't care about Corey Connors." You you can find ways to follow Corey Connors now, and to find ways to watch Mackenzie Hughes now, and that's nice. That's t again, that's the that's and in the old days of the Masters, you wouldn't have been able to. No, that's now that's that's now technology. And technology has become a uh, has is on our side when it comes to trying to find you know the Canadians on the tour. Well, I confess, I'm sure you were too. I don't know how much time you actually spent in front of your television yesterday, but I basically I saw most of Tiger's round. That's what I was focused on, and I'm not yeah. that guy. I've never been that guy. Well, you're not a two screen. You're not a two screen guy anyway, are you? No, I'm not. But See, I'm a two screen uh, guy now. I didn't used to be, but I am now. Yeah. Well. 
but I wasn't a guy who had to watch every shot Tiger hit because I figured if I got to network television, they were going to show me anyway. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I was not going to see the Canadians as a general rule. I mean, you know, if you got one or two shots when they got close yeah. to the lead, then that was about all you were going to get. Yeah. But I, I confess I was with Tiger the whole way yesterday. How could you not be? Um, Toronto Blue Jays have their home opener tonight. Mm-hmm. And again, we have to understand that there will be people who will listen to this after the home opener is over. And um, so we have to be careful of the kind of things we say. You know, it's really interesting, though. And I, I think everybody. That else. third inning. Oh, no, never mind. Sorry. The what? The third inning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, the first, this is the first home opener in three years. <laughs> yeah. Real home opener. Yeah. I mean, well, and, and full but, and full. Buffalo and full. two years ago. Yeah. And Dunedin last, Dunedin year. last year. Yeah. So they, they didn't even have an empty stadium home opener. No. And look, a home opener is special for everybody. It is louder. It's more joyful. Um, and there are a whole bunch of players. In fact, the vast majority of this team has never experienced a home opener at Rogers Center. Yeah. And I don't pretend to know. I've been to a couple of home openers in other places. I think Rogers Center is about as electric a home opener as I've ever been to. I don't think there are any that were more so. So it'll be intriguing to see how they react to this. And um, I don't have an I don't have an opinion on how it'll, how they'll react. But even the players, the few who have have experienced it, and the coaching staff who's experienced it, the guys who've been there long enough, mm-hmm. um, they're going to tell you. You know, it's it's pretty special. The the other thing, Bob, is is that the the the, the fan in Toronto has changed. Um. So an event like this is much bigger for the fan too. And, and I say that based on watching fans um, in this town go from the sophisticated businessman with the, with the suit on and sitting in the Gucci seats, as you call them. Um, and, in, you know, in 2015 and 2016, when they, when this, when the baseball team reignited the city, uh, there was a much more youthful approach to the fan base and they were louder and they were more passionate about the baseball team, not about baseball, but about the team. Uh, and that has carried on. And uh, this is now a, this used to be a sedate place to come and watch baseball. This is now, and I, I credit the, uh, the Raptors a great deal. I credit a little bit to the Maple Leafs. I credit TFC. But the whole fan base in this town is much louder, much more passionate. And I, the Blue Jays are paying dividends with it as well, and it's and a lot of it's because of of where the where the fan base is coming from. But with all the people that live now in the neighborhoods around the stadium, it's an amazing uh, transformation of a conservative fan base to a loud one, a an emotional one, and a day like a home opener would be fun to see this fan base react on a night where they're finally sold out. And they're finally seeing their team that is obviously very good and has a chance to go to the postseason. Well, there's only one day a year that can match the post a postseason game, and that's opening day. And right. it doesn't really because we understand it's not that important. If you lose, not the end of the world. You got 161 to go. It just means you can't have a perfect season. And nobody's going to do that ever in our lifetime or anybody else's. So there's that. But I don't disagree with you. It's um, it's a more energetic crowd oh, than it yeah. has been. I want to take a couple of minutes here to do something that we have not done. And that is congratulate Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins for building this team. And especially from the perspective that Shapiro took a lot of heat when he came in. He was not my favorite guy because I loved Anthopolis. And the perception always was that Shapiro essentially kicked um, Amphopolis out of Toronto. Now, it wasn't him per se. It was Rogers who made that decision. But he was cast as the villain. Mm -hmm. And 
he and Atkins, what they have built in this relatively brief period of time, what, four or five years, mm-hmm. is really quite remarkable. And yes, they've had um, adjustments to their payroll. They've had their limits extended. And that is all part of the equation. And a lot of what they benefited from, guys like Guerrero and Bichette and Biggio were guys that Anthopolis brought to the organization, drafted, acquired, Mm -hmm. whatever. But kudos to them at the beginning of this season for what they've been, been able to build. A team that, well, we talked baseball yesterday, a team that has a real shot at a championship. I think we would be incredibly disappointed if they didn't make the playoffs. I think it would expanded, be a expanded playoffs. Yeah. Well, yes, and and they should be better. So we'd be very disappointed if they didn't make the playoffs. Maybe even angry if they didn't make the playoffs. But on the other side of that coin is they're as good as anybody out there. Maybe as good as the Dodgers. We'll see. Better than Atlanta, who won a championship last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think better than the Yankees, better than the Red Sox. Tampa Bay is this anomaly that you know materializes virtually every year, but you have to th- wonder whether at some point that bubble is going to break. And if that happens, the Toronto Blue Jays could win the East and could win it by a bunch. Yeah. I won't be surprised if that happens. What do you think? Well, first of all, I, I you know the um your your thoughts on how when Mark came in, I mean Alex was the you know he was the local kid, he was Canadian, he was he and Beeston were buddies. Um, you know they had this Cinderella season, you know the trade they were under five hundred. I mean everything worked in, in those last couple of seasons for uh, for the Jays uh, with Alex's fingerprints on them. Um, so it was it was going to be difficult for anybody to come in here. Um, and what, what Mark did I, quite impressively was he stayed the course. He believed in what he was doing. Um, he didn't, and, and, but he also, he also created a perception. And I say perception because that's, you know, every guy has a plan, no matter whether it's in sports or business or television, everybody's got a plan. And Mark created a perception that he actually listened to people in Canada. Because there's a, if you know, you can get the, the the high and mighty American comes in here and says, "I know what I'm doing. I'm better than you. Look at this and look at that." Sure. And and Mark actually looked like he cared. He cared what what we thought. He cared what the fans thought. Um, and and that to me was was brilliant communicating. And because he's always been a good communicator. There's lots of times he says stuff and yet he doesn't say anything. But he, he, he was able to, to, to talk about it. The other thing he did, Bob, that doesn't get near the credit, and I, I listened to Marcus Simeon um, get interviewed the last couple of days about his time in Toronto, or with the, not in Toronto, but with the Jays. And he talked about the facility in Dunedin, and he talked about uh, their, uh, their training regimen, and they talked about the dietitians, all the stuff that, Shapiro has been hammering home almost below the waterline uh, for years about how you build an organization. Right. Uh, and that's, that's where the stuff that, and, and, and by the way, that's the kind of things that attracts free agents. Those are the types of things like how you, how you manage people. Uh, and what, what Mark and Ross have, have done has is managing a situation spent and, and they went to the corporation. Give Rod, you got to give some Rogers some credit too, because they they did put some money behind yes, this did. thing too, and and they're going to do it with the stadium now too. Um, but the, the but Shapiro's vision, uh, Atkins' execution, uh, they deserve some credit for not just the ball club, but the whole infrastructure and and the the function of the organization, which has which has truly I think changed the outlook for this franchise and and if you talk to people has changed the outlook of a lot of teams saying, Holy smokes, we've got to catch up to the Jays. We've got to be better than the Jays now because everybody looked at Dunedin and, and you, well, they, they were always they down their nose at it and justify were always so. excuses. Yeah. There was always excuses. Well, look at what we have to deal with. Well, there's no more excuses anymore. And they went in and fixed that. 
And now it's going to, at this point in 2022, it has to be perceived as an advantage. It is an advantage. The one place I will moderately disagree with you on is what, a, what kind of allure it is for players who aren't Blue Jays already. There's no question it puts them in a better, theoretically at least, better physical position to endure a 162-game season. I can't speak to whether it actually means anything, but the perception is that it does. Yeah. And we should subscribe to that theory. What I don't believe it does is actually attract players who are free agents, for example, uh, to come to Toronto. At the end of the day, it's still it's about money. It's just about money, right? Yeah, it's sure. It's only about money. Now, here's what it does do. And again, I can't speak to how often this actually happens. Rarely, perhaps. But you are in, you're talking to a particular free agent. And it's down to two teams. And Blue Jays are one of them. And the offers between the two teams are identical or virtually identical. Mm -hmm. Will the training facility be the tipping point? And theoretically, the answer would be, yeah, it can be. Because while I haven't toured it, I've seen it on video, and it is mind-blowingly spectacular. Mm -hmm. And if a player visits that complex, and if you're the Blue Jays and you're talking to a free agent, you're going to say, "Come and see the, come and see this." Yeah. Like, you don't, you don't take them to Rogers Stadium. Or, uh, you, you take them to Dunedin and say, right. "Take a look at what we've got here. This is how mm -hmm. this works." Yeah. And that could be the tipping point. Yeah. But at the end of the day. You know, these players, and I don't say this in a derogatory nature or fashion, they're all mercenaries. They're all oh, essentially. No, but, 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 by the way, so are, so are you and I, so it's okay. We're all, we all are. Yeah. At the end of yeah. the day, loyalty begins and ends with a dollar sign. Yeah. You know, yeah. In, in business, in personal lives, it's a different thing. But right. from a business perspective, you give me significantly more to do something, I'm likely going to take it. So so do you see a weakness on this ball club? No. Um, I only see... Not second base, not catch? No. Uh, I think the catcher of the future is about two or three months away, and he's... Romano? Hmm? Morano? Morano, yeah. Yeah. That's... Gabriel Morano? Yeah, yeah, that's the kid. Yeah. And I think he's two or three months away and he's very young and very green. Yeah. But he's, he is so talented that his inexperience, I think will be offset by the pluses and they will always have a guy, whoever they keep as a, the number two catcher sure, to guide him through or put him in, in a, in a, you know, if they need to in a defensive situation late in the game, whatever. But this kid is playing himself onto this roster and really already has. Yeah. They're just going to give him some opportunity at AAA to get ready. I think he'll be here by June at the latest. You do, huh? Yeah. Could be wrong. If one of the existing guys plays superbly, hits, um, defensively, they're both okay. There's, you know, there's no real issue with them defensively. I don't think they're tremendous, but they're capable. Then that could, it could keep the kid away for a period of time. They may say, look, we don't need him here. We're mm -hmm. getting something more than what we expected from our catchers, probably offensively. And so we'll delay his arrival because that'll help in the long term. But that's the only condition I think that I see that could prevent him from um, being on the big league club by midsummer, and not, and, and and not second base. You, you you're you're quite comfortable at second base with Vizio and uh, Espinal. Espinal, I love Espinal. You always I, have though. You I always, always have. have. And yeah. I think people, if you if you really watch him, if. I think he's going to win the second base job with no disrespect to Biggio, who's got the experience, but um, Espinal can hit. He's put on weight. I mean, I think he'll hit five home runs this year. 
but that's four more than he hit last year. I don't. He's not going to be a power hitter. He's not going to be Semyon. But defensively, he is every bit as good as Semyon. And maybe, maybe even a little better. So, um, and I know that's hard to believe, but I think he's going to win the job at second base. Wow. And the rest of the, the rest of the team, I mean, offensively, what do you want? Oh, you, got no, third, no. Third, you got a third baseman that can hit and hit home runs. You got a shortstop that, you know, has MVP potential. Your first baseman is all world. Would have been the MVP last year if that guy in California last year hadn't decided to pitch every fifth day. To, as to, well quote, as our, to, to quote our favorite hockey coach, he's, he's a good player. Yeah. He's a good player. And the outfield is solid. Solid. Yeah. Um, I have concerns about the outfield in the future because a lot of money is going to be spent in right field by somebody if Hernandez has another big year. And they're already paying $25 million for your center fielder. Yeah. And eventually the left fielder is going to, his seven-year contract is going to run out. I think it's got a couple more years left on it. But um, they're going to have to make some changes there. We should mention before we move on, Blue Jays traded uh, Anthony Castro for Bradley Zimmer. Or did I mention that already? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I can't remember. doesn't matter. Say it again. Event. Zimmer's an outfielder. I don't really understand what his acquis- acquis- uh, acquisition means. Uh, Castro, obviously a relief <laughs> pitcher. Um, a deal of little significance, really. But I, I did want to mention the Blue Jays and, and congratulate Atkins and Shapiro yeah. because we are we as fans tend to be very quick to offer negative opinions and much more reluctant to acknowledge that we may have been wrong. Yeah, I didn't offer a negative opinion on Shapiro or Atkins, but internally I was sad to see Anthopolis go. So I probably had a bit of a negative reaction to Shapiro, but boy, these two guys have done a fantastic job. Yeah, they have. They 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 they, they truly have. And um, I, I think the organization, from top to bottom, is better off today than it was the day they came. And I think that that's the true measure. And, and it's again, it's not just the starting nine; it's everywhere within the organization. And the fa- and 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 now the fact that they're finally. There, there's no more um, politicking. They're going to spend $250 million uh, to uh, refit the stadium, to make it more fan-friendly, I guess, is the way to put it. I'm not I sure have, how you do it. I'm not I, sure how I, you do it. I, I, that's exactly what I was going to say. I have spent many, many, many hundreds yeah. of hours in that facility. And the things that I don't like about it are not fixable. Specifically, the grade of the seats in the lower level. I don't like sitting yeah. in the hundred level. It's just yeah. the grading of the seat is, yeah. is too shallow, and you're too far away from the field, and um, you can't change that. Well, I and I think the biggest issue is in the end something they they've tried to and tried to and can never fix, and that's the turf. So they well, can't fix the turf. Yeah, although here's what I will say. The advances in the turf over the last decade or so are pretty significant. Yeah. And I really don't notice it nearly as much as, you know, when they were at, when they, well, when they were at C&E. Yeah, that was, that's con- different. That, that was, was concrete. concrete. That was concrete with a little, with a little um, rug on top of it. Yeah. And it became, it got worse for a while. Like, remember when they, when they, they overfilled with a, the rubber pe- um, pellets. Yeah. And they were flying all over the place. Sure. Well, they've got that under control now too. So I don't know. I don't, I don't, I think it works pretty well. All things considered. Yes. You'd much rather be on a natural field surface. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But that's not going to happen. That's clear. Nope. Um, moving on. Appropriate to congratulate Austin Matthews. He scored his 55th goal last night to break Rick Vives' record. Most goals ever by a Toronto Maple Leaf. Probably should have happened mm-hmm. one of the last two years, but because of situations, he didn't play enough games. Right. Um, he seems destined to get at least 60. Oh, yeah. Uh, this year. 
Um, you never know, but that he's certainly on pace for that. Uh, is there a surprise here in your mind? No, was, there isn't really. How huh, is there? No, um, you, you know he's he's in a, he's he's in the top five players in the National Hockey League. When when you when you put it on paper of listing who are the greatest players in the game today, Austin Matthews is on the list. Um, the, the fascination for me is that this is a team, and, and you've been around it and, and have watched it as, as long as I have, if not longer. This is a team that has never, ever in the history of the franchise. And, had the and best now, player. Had the best player in the game. Never. Ever. Ever. I mean, there was a time, I mean, Listen, I mean, Frank Mahovlich in the, in, you know, actually Frank Mahovlich had the, won the rookie of the year, the year that Bobby Hull should have, but Mahovlich, I mean, that's how far back it goes is that the greatness of the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, whether it was a, a conscious effort by the organization to keep making sure that there was a, a brand of hockey playing, that it was a, you know, the lunch pocket style of hockey that Imlac loved or the old veteran players that he loved. Um, but there was never a top three player in the game dressed for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It was always somewhere else. Yeah, I think you're probably right on top three. I was going to say top five, but Mahovlich was a good player, but he played in an era where he was overshadowed by Bobby Hull. Yeah. Gordie Howe even. Oh, yeah. When, you know, in the 60s, I mean, the best players in the game were, well, first of all, well, it Canadians. was easy to measure it. Well, you either wore number nine or your number four. Yeah, that's right. That, that was your, or you, you can always tell. Yeah. How, sure. Yeah. yeah. How? Yeah. yeah. Bathgate in New York. And there was always a single guy on a, on that team, on the team that wore that number. Right. Uh, that, well, he's got to be the best player. That was, that was how, that was the system. It was easy to figure out. Yeah. Um, but Mahovlich was a brilliant player in Toronto, but, uh, but there was nobody of this ilk. No. You know, this, well, Keon, this is one of those history. Keon's Keon beloved, was, but was not the best player. Sittler was beloved, but not the best player in the NHL. Right. Same Salming with Matt. Same sorry? with Matt. Yeah. Uh, same with Matt Sundin. Yeah. Salming. Yeah. Great player, but not the best in the National Hockey League. In fact, I, in fact, somebody actually asked me, you know, the, the I don't, I mean, the Maple Leafs have never had a great, have, have never had the best ranked defenseman in the history of the game either. Um, and, and when I cut, when I think of defensemen for the Toronto Maple Leafs, I'm, I'm not getting away from talking about Matthews. Boreas Salming was, was in my mind, might be considered one of the greatest Maple Leafs of all time. Oh, I agree. But does not get near the attention, near the credit because his team was um, crummy for most of his career. And, and, and there wasn't much support in, in, within the organization nope. for, for Boria at the time. He didn't help himself, you know. He didn't care about any, and he was too shy to to, to project an image, as well. I mean, Horton, all those years that Horton was here, Bob, you know, was a, he was a great player, but he wasn't the best. Well, no, I'd say that was the best blue line in the NHL: Horton, Brewer, Stanley, um, Bond. I think was the was probably the best defense in the National Hockey League at the time, and they won a bunch of cups too. Yeah, they, they did. They won four Stanley Cups in the 60s. You're right. You know, I but, mean, the Montreal uh, defense was really good, too. You know, yeah. if you go back to Harvey and Provo and... <coughs> yeah, no, J.C. Trombley. Could, well, yeah, we yeah. could rattle off a whole... Another generation of great what, Montreal defense. What, Robinson but, and Savard. Oh, sure. Big th the big three in the 70s. Scotty's big three. They were they were quite something, too. Yeah, but to go back to Matthews, is that's that, that's where... This is this is something so special, and really um, and he's and, a and baby what, still, and 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 there's lots more hopefully to come. You know, this guy has not. I don't. There's no reason to believe that. Chronologically, well, let me ask you this: He's peaked. Let me ask you this. Oh no, I I agree with that. You know, I um. Let me ask you this though: What if they lose in the first round? What is the measure of Austin Matthews if they lose in the first round? I don't think Austin Matthews suffers, and I don't think Mitch Marner suffers. Um, and we have to give him credit, too, for what a tremendous season he's having after a terrible start. Yeah. Um, 
I can't blame Matthews. This will come down to the decision by the general manager not to pursue a frontline goaltender. That's what it'll come down to. And even in this last streak, this road trip that they've been on, Mm -hmm. the goaltending has not been. Well, the one, the the one record has game. Sorry, game. The one game, the game in Florida was a debacle. Everything else was okay. I'll grant. Well, how many did they give up in Tampa? They gave two. Up, what, was only two? Yeah, two. They, in Tampa. Six, they won six. No, they won six to two. No, that was the the Boston game. They won, oh, okay. they gave up four against Boston. All right, so they gave up four, then <clears> two, <throat> then seven, and then what? Three last night. Three last night. I mean, at this point in the season, you want to see some ones and twos, not yeah. fours and sixes, yeah. you know, or sevens. So I'm I'm still unconvinced about the goaltending. If they had a premium goaltender, they would have walked through the last four games. Walked. And they don't have that. And maybe it's partly the defense. Maybe we were over the blue line. I think think now you're on to something, sir. Well, I'm acknowledging that. But as a former target, you know, you're the last line of defense. You know, stand on your head, stop everything. And and right now, these guys, you know, the collection that they have yeah. aren't doing it. So it limits the potential in the postseason. But we wanted to congratulate Matthews. I got one more thing on the lease before we move on. We got to go to break soon. Yeah, second in the Atlantic. Yeah. And barring the unforeseen, that's where they will finish. Mm-hmm. Meaning they will face the Boston Bruins in all likelihood, correct? Yeah, Tampa's on a swoon, but it could be Tampa or Boston, yeah. Who would you rather play? Well, I tell you what, I that's that's pick your poison, man. Let's pick your poison. I, I tell you, I'd pick I'd play Boston. You know why? Yeah, I would too. I I because I don't trust I don't trust Boston's goaltending at this point either. Linus Allmark and Swayman are the one's a you know, the guy that was in Buffalo for those years and then Swayman's learning how to play the position at this elite level. Uh, Bergeron Marchand, Charlie McAvoy, Jake DeBrusque's been great. Uh, there's lots of uh, uh, Hampus Lindholm they got at the deadline. Boston's a really good team, but the the stories of goaltending in Boston might be the sim- similar to what we see in Toronto. So I would probably take Boston. I would not ever want to play Tampa in the playoffs at this point. Me neither. They may be tired. They may be tired, uh, but they'll be ready for the playoffs. I agree. Uh, don't mess with a champion. Uh, the Toronto Raptors won another basketball game and seemed prepared, barring the unforeseen, to face the Philadelphia 76ers in the opening round of the playoffs. We'll uh, address that situation when we come back after these messages. Bob McCown is John Shannon on the uh, podcast, also available to you on Sirius X on Channel 167 at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, yeah. Monday through Friday. The Toronto Raptors won another basketball game last night. Um, This team, and they did it with Fred Van Vliet and Civvies. Yeah. This team is, you know, you you want a team to peak at the right time going into the playoffs. The concern I guess I have now is they peaked too soon. Um, But it was, what, a few weeks ago, Shannon, that we were looking at, well, could Brooklyn catch them? Are they going to, they're going to have to go into the play-in thing? Who would they play? And they have flown past Cleveland and now jumped ahead of Chicago. The two games up on Chicago, as we sit here right now Mm -hmm. with what two to play. So now tiebreaker goes to Chicago. Does it not? Yeah, but I, I'm not worried about tiebreaker. They're going to... No, no, but I mean, they would then, if, then their matchup would be different. Then they yeah, play but, Boston in the first round, probably. But whatever. Yeah. Right now, it looks like Philadelphia. Yeah, which is why last night's win, I think, was really important. I do, too. Because Philadelphia is the team I want to play. You do, huh? Yep. You, wanna, you don't think Harden and Embiid can turn it around and nope. play together? You know, again, we talked about the Maple Leafs and you, you don't really want to play Boston because of the history between the two teams and first round yeah. matchups. Yeah. 
But the Toronto Raptors have won three of four series against the Philadelphia 76ers. And I think I think the Blue or the Raptors are the team that the Sixers do not want to play. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, the one thing in watching them uh the last week or so, and it was something that we 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 talked about, I think a lot of people talked about was well, they're not very deep. Holy smokes, all of a sudden they're deep. You know, I mean, it, it, it may be not 10 deep, but those, those eight, and when, and when you consider no Van Vliet, as you mentioned, when you, the eight or nine that play on a regular basis, they're almost interchangeable, Bob. Well, I mean, a it, lot of them are. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Achua, uh, you know, Trent Jr. Um, I mean, Chris Boucher has really started to contribute better. Scotty Barnes is, I mean, I, I, Scotty Barnes last night, a couple of times, you're just going, oh, my goodness gracious, how old is this guy? I mean, he's, he's not 20, he's 30. You know, I mean, they, they were just, they, were, they have become a fun team to watch again. Oh, um, they're very fun to watch. And they're, yeah. you know, I guess the only reservation we have or should have is that their makeup, the makeup of this team, out of necessity, perhaps, um, as much at least as design right is so different from what we have seen before basically putting four guys out there that are all six nine and interchangeable mm-hmm. and then having two guys or three guys off the bench that are all six nine and interchangeable mm-hmm. maybe not of the same skill set but you generally have van vliet and asterisk trent because he's kind of halfway between and a bunch of a bunch of six nine guys. There's no real center. There's no back to the basket guy. Um, I wish their three point shooting was a little better. But I'll tell you what, a couple of times last night, you know, even Malachi Flynn's making a couple from outside. Well, well, that's Malachi Flynn. That's that's his game. Yeah, I know. But he's not going to get minutes in the postseason. Very few. Um, I mean, if you have to play Malachi Flynn, it's because Fred Van Vliet can't play. Right. Yeah, no, no, uh, no, you're right. No, you're right. They have it, a six, it, it, nine guy. They have two, six, nine guys who bring the ball up the court. Do you in Barnes and, and, um, and Siakam. This to me, uh, is more of a, uh, you know, Nick nurse has had tons of influences in his life as a coach spent time in Europe. To me, I, to me, they're playing European basketball. You know, there is, there isn't, they're, they're playing a much more, transformational fluid European style than I see that what you would describe as a traditional NBA style at times and his influence uh, you can see nurse's influence on this club almost more than you can see Masai's I think this team was not created by Nick Nurse no he was given a group of guys by Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster and said okay this is what we've got you figure it out and right. there were many people, traditionalists in the NBA, that even to this day ignore talking about the Toronto Raptors. Well, you're right. And nobody's giving part, them any credit. Part of it is justified because they missed the playoffs last year. They mm-hmm. were on the cusp of missing the playoffs in the first two, three months of this year. But this run that they've been on, which is probably the strongest run of any NBA team over the last, what, 20, 25 games? I don't well, know. Well, certainly, certainly in the East, yeah. Well, Boston has been great. Yeah. Um, but I don't think anybody else is – they're right there. Let's put it that way, in the last 20 games with the best yeah. in the NBA. Completely ignored. Completely and utterly ignored. You know, Phoenix has stumbled the last little while. Golden State has been – mediocre since Curry got hurt yeah been mediocre Mm -hmm. Toronto Raptors are unique different problematic for other teams and are now performing at a level that makes them scary and the U.S. media has essentially ignored them uh I think this is a ridiculous suggestion as much as I love Pascal Siakam the homers, and there are plenty of Raptor homers out there, um, are suggesting 
he should be a candidate for MVP. I think that's an absurd suggestion. What do you think? Well, I don't even think he's the MVP in his own team. Not sure you know, he is. I mean, night to night, night to night, he might not be. Well, if if, if you if, if would you, you would were, you say Van Vliet? Yeah, is the MVP? Yes, I I, would. I I mean, I I think that you hard know, to argue, but Siakam has put up big numbers. Yeah, but but we're talking about when you're in my opinion, being an MVP is more than numbers. It's creating an attitude. It's being a leader. No, I'm not suggesting that that uh, that Pascal isn't because I remember when he was on with us, he talked about he knew he had to become a leader yep. and and be a veteran player. But if you said what what single player on this roster reflects what this team is, it's Fred Van Vliet. Bob, this is Van Vliet's team. He's if he's he, he's he, he's the point guard slash assistant head coach. Come on. Well, I don't and disagree. Best three, and, and best three-point shooter. No, I don't disagree and, you know. with you. But, okay, yeah. we'll save that conversation because we're going to talk, obviously, a fair bit of basketball in the next while because yeah. they're on their yeah. way to the postseason. The one piece on Matthews at the end of this that yeah. um, I didn't bring up. Yeah. Is he the MVP? Would you vote for him as MVP? Uh, he deserves to be in the conversation. We'll acknowledge sure. that. Yeah, no question. Um I, I think it's, believe it or not, I think it's between, between him and Roman Yossi in Nashville. I think Roman Yossi, with what he's done as a defenseman, and if he gets close to 100 points in the season, I think I'd vote for Roman Yossi. Is neither of the guys in Edmonton? One of the compliments of what's going on in Edmonton is, is these, these are now team victories. Yeah, I agree. And they're not as reliant on Dreisaitl and McDavid as they once were. Uh, we shall see how all this unfolds. Uh, but it's over? Yeah, that's it. Uh, we got to get out of here. Have yourselves a swell weekend, and we'll come back if the crick don't rise on Monday. Goodbye, everybody.